Welcome to Joyful Projects, where we're going to explore the secret to real excellence when we're transforming our ideas into a reality. Hey there, I'm Paul Armstrong. You know what? If you have the responsibility to accomplish a project, something that, think about it, transforms an idea into a reality, and if you happen to have a leadership role in that, then this podcast might be for you. I'm sharing what I've had the blessing to learn over a lot of years from being with a lot of teams. And you know what? You're going to hear so much that's going to echo what you find in most books on project management. But I'm not going to use that managed word. Here's the real reason I like what it's sharing what I've learned. I found that to really understand and apply what truly accomplishes ideal projects, <laughs> it's founded in what I believe is the truth, namely God's word. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take Sunday's message and apply it to our Monday mission in what I hope to be a refreshing, helpful way. Look, I'd appreciate it if you subscribe. And if you're new to this podcast, you can learn more about me at enablingjoy.com. But for now, hey, let's get moving. This is episode number eight. Eight people task. It's not really an or, it's an and. You know, I remember back in the 80s when I was sent to a seminar on something called the management grid. And it was this seemingly mathematical approach where, yep, you had this grid and it went from zero to 10 and you plotted whether or not, maybe it went zero to nine, I don't know. But in any case, you plotted one axis was tasked and the other one was was people and, and you saw where you landed on various tasks and all these tools and exercises. And it was pretty neat and it was very intense, very well done. But I do remember being somewhat surprised how some folks to them, this was such an aha. That, oh, well, there's people and a task. There are tasks and a people. Wow, this is, this is kind of interesting. And what we saw was that people kind of walked out of there sort of knowing that they had to balance it, but they kept thinking of it as a trade-off, an or statement. And then just recently in the last five years, been involved in something where, you know, one of the references used was something called the leadership wake. Now, I, I find the title a little amusing because when I first heard I thought, oh, I guess leadership died, and now we're at the funeral, it's the wake. No, it's, it's actually talking about something that's even also near and dear to my heart, about when a ship goes through the water, it creates a wake, okay, and the, the wake are the waves behind it. And the leadership wake refers to, hey, when we lead, we leave this ripple behind us, and they talked about the two ripples, one being about relationships and the other being about results. So again, very much uh, looking at this, hey, which one are we doing? Here's where I want to go, and, and this is the path that I hope I'm painting for you. What have we done so far? We looked at the, the components of enabling joy. We saw there were three of them, about uh, connecting to people and purpose and being able to create value to that purpose. And then being able to contribute it to those that we want to give it to, that that value, give it to someone. And then we also saw that there were components to engaging excellence. We talked about the rational four and, and looking at cost, quality, schedule, and scope. And we looked at the relational three and how we deal with the folks who are in our organization, the, the folks that are in the contractor and the folks in the stakeholder communities. Then we looked at the readiness too, about making sure we had a good supply and making sure we were addressing risk. And, and what we're going to look at in, in a few podcasts here is, is what's gluing them together. But to lay the framework for that, I really want to emphasize that it's not an or, it's an and. And that all along, as we are enabling joy, it is knowing that we're setting folks up to achieve the reality of transforming this idea into something, okay? The ideal project. And all along, when we're, we're in 
engaging excellence, we realize it makes sense only because there's people involved. And then really it's, it's the interchange, the integration of these two. To pull this to light, what I'd like to do is, is share some passages from a story that's found in Luke, it's found in John, and it touches home so well. You know, every time we hear it, all of us relate to it because it sounds so much like modern living. And there have been a lot of, a lot of talks about this and, and we're not, not at all going to go into the beautiful depth that we can in this passage. But let's take a look at it. You know, when you look at Luke chapter 10, we talk about Jesus visiting Martha and Mary. And he says, you know, and so verse 38, it picks up. It says, now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part which will not be taken away from her. Now, it's interesting. Jesus makes reference in the way that Luke writes it. says that there is need of only one thing. Then he says, Mary has chosen the better part, implying that one thing is an integration of several. And Mary has chosen the better part. Well, that's kind of neat. Notice that Jesus is painting. This is all done together. Okay, it's not an either-or proposition. And it's also neat that Jesus puts it in terms of you're worried and distracted by them. In other words, you're allowing them to run you instead of you run them. That's kind of interesting. That's kind of interesting. And and then we pick up in, in John. And in John, in chapter 12, in chapter 12, he talks about, you know, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointing Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept a common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Interesting, interesting, huh? And, and then we also see in that passage the story about when Lazarus is raised from the dead. And, and so let's pick up there. Let's pick up there. It's, it's now, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews who had come to Martha and Mary to console them about her brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. 
while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the city of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So he took away the stone. Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I know that you always hear me, but have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him, let him go. What are you hearing in this? I'll tell you what I'm hearing. And, I, and, and I'm not going to claim I am a biblical scholar, okay? I want to share with you why this is so refreshing to me. It's refreshing because look how courageous Martha is. Look how courageous she is. You know, and, and, and she handles, you know, she's talked to Jesus about, you know, hey, you know, I seem to be doing all the work around here. And, and Jesus says, hey, you know, he's trying to, Take away the fear. You know, he says, you're being distracted and worried. Okay? He takes away the fear. But notice that Martha is the first one that goes and talks to Jesus. When Jesus, they both Martha and Mary say the exact same phrase. Isn't that interesting? If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Martha courageously says, I believe you, Lord. It's interesting. The gospel writer doesn't have a response from Mary after the question. Okay? 
doesn't have a response. And you're not even sure when Jesus is saying, where did you land, whether or not it's directly to Mary or is it loud enough to, because it's they then reply. It doesn't say that Mary specifically replied. But what I see is Jesus always pulling the two together. They're not, it's not an if, then, either, or kind of statement. It's really all together. And when we get to that moment, where Jesus is standing in front of the tomb, you gotta love Martha's courage, protecting the Lord. Lord, it's gone, it's not gonna smell well. If we take away the stone, it's been four days. You gotta love that in that statement, what I hear, I hear is her love of Jesus, respecting like, oh no, remember, this isn't gonna go well, I think. But she doesn't say she doesn't believe. And that's, that to me is just speaks volumes. About, about the beauty where Martha has, has come to this point where she's blending, blending the people and the task. And when you see Jesus equally blending, taking care of Martha, answering her need to know about the resurrection and then reinforcing her belief and then being so compassionate with Mary, but then immediately going to, okay, where is he laid? What I see here is Jesus removing the fear, removing the fear, being with them. He's connecting, connecting with them. He's, he's sharing their sorrow. And then, of course, what does he do? He changes it, changes it from, I wish you would raise him to he is raised from the dead. And then that beautiful phrase, the contribute part, unbind him, let him go. What I, what I want to leave is, is just a reminder to you that you probably want to go back and just reflect on those passages. Put them in the context of what you're doing with your team, what you're doing on the project. See how beautifully this message weaves for us the ability to not say it's either task or people. And that if we approach the people knowing that all along we love them because we care about them and we're enabling them for this process, this transformation of an idea to reality. And all along when we're looking at the stuff on the table, that, that seems to be just the work that we are doing it with the idea of, of connecting it to the people, allowing the people to take it and run with it, to be able to be the compassion, like, okay, we'll remove the stone, but remember there's a stench. Okay. This is great. This is great. So take a look at that. Think about it. I really, Really encourage us because what we're going to do from here on in the podcast is we're going to start walking through that journey. I talked about it before where it looks like a drama, the romantic comedy. And, and we're going to move our, our way through that. And all along, what I hope to paint for you is how you, you never have to separate those, but you always have to integrate them. That it's the people to the task and the task being done by the people. So let's, let's get ready for that journey. Meanwhile, Take some time this week to, to refresh yourself on that beautiful, beautiful account and, and see how it speaks to you. Meanwhile, I look forward to episode number nine with you. You take care. All right. See you then. Bye-bye.